I don't know if you caught all of that, but not only did your giving enable us to help them uh, get on track and those buildings rehabilitated, it also took care of several families during the downturn. Uh, in that video, they also included a piece that they were $6,000 short of being able to fully complete with furnishings and everything else. And because of your generous giving, we don't need to make an appeal. The missions team um, uh, released an additional $6,000 to go to the Van Wykes to completely finish the project. Yeah, it'd be a good place to celebrate. So thank you so much for your faithful giving. It enables us to bless people around the world. And those of you that are giving, whether it's online, here in person, mailing it in, however you do it, appreciate your consistency and your faithfulness to God in giving. How many of you believe that God blesses givers? Let me hear your hands. Well, how often have you said, I should, followed by something you think that would be good for you to do? I should, and fill in the blank. How many have ever said that? Okay. The rest of you, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Now, the second part of the question, how many of you that said, I should, fill in the blank, after you said, I should, felt better that better about it because you said you should, but never did anything. Come on, there's more of you, there's more of you. It's a common malady. There's an ice cream, low calorie ice cream company. Now I'm just gonna tell you right up front that low calorie ice cream don't fit in my book. I'm just saying, I, I've not figured out how that works. But low-cal ice cream that is called Halo Top. What a name, you know, Halo Top ice cream. And they've started an advertising campaign for their diet ice cream. Again, two words that don't go together. Their diet ice cream that says, for too long we've been burdened down by things we should do. Various ads talk about I should lose weight, I should work out, I should eat more salad, I should skip desserts. And so the message of the ad campaign is clear. We constantly tell ourselves that we should do something and their message is it's time to stop denying ourselves and enjoy the ice cream. Self-indulgence is the best way to live. Well, some I shoulds are mandatory. We should obey state, uh, municipal, state, and federal law. How many would agree? We should do that. Okay, you, you criminals. How many, how, many, how many of you believe we should? I'm not asking if you do, but we should. All right. Wow, this is getting rough. Some are biblical. We should be, I won't even ask you to raise your hand on this, but we should be kind to one another. We should be patient. We should put others first. We should pray. We should love God. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. So some are obligatory in our culture. Some are biblically mandated, things that we should do. And sometimes the phrase, I should, becomes very controversial. Or we should. We should wear masks. We should social distance. We should be vaccinated. And all I've got to do is say that and I've already divided the house because should implies values that in some cases not everyone shares. But there's another kind of I should or we should that I want us to think about. One of the things that keeps us from the very things that we know we need to do is when we say, I should, and that becomes a conscience salve so we don't ever actually do anything. How many people have said, I should start to tithe? I should come back to church. I should witness to my neighbor. I should commit myself to prayer. I should begin reading the Bible on a regular basis. And there's something about that phrase, I should, that makes us feel that 
we've at least touched on it, but it's an unpleasant thing to experience change, and so we walk away. It's almost as though we think if we say we should, that should give us some extra credit with God. Now, a psychological study has been done actually on the phrase I should and the impact that it has on people who say it. The most frequent result of saying I should is procrastination. If I find that whenever I think about, if you're a student doing schoolwork, I find I should thoughts rushing in, it makes me feel guilty and a bit depressed knowing I should be doing something that I shouldn't. I mean, I should be doing something that I'm not. And I'll tend to mentally just change the subject to something else so I don't have to deal with that kind of negativity in my life. Why is that? Well, they suggest psychologically it's because growing up, you had parents and authority figures in your life that told you what you should do, whether you wanted to or not. How many of you were told to do something that you didn't want to do, like clean your room? How many of you were slobs? How many of you are slobs? How many of you want to point at a slob? <laughs> we should, and we're told what we have to do. When we went to school, another authority figure, a teacher, came up with a whole new, new set of things that we should do, not because we wanted to, but because someone else said that we had to. And now that we're adults, there's no mom to nag us, no teacher to direct us. So to fill that void, we nag ourselves, and that makes us not want to do the task in question. So this psychological study on the impact of I should suggests that we make a change, that we stop saying I should and start saying, I choose. Stop saying, I should, and start saying, I choose. Instead of saying, I should start my essay, it would be, I choose to start my essay. Says you're a free agent, it makes very little sense for you to say, I should do this, but I choose not to. Such statements reveal the should for the illogical and confusing term that it is. If you don't choose to do it, you don't really believe that you should do it. On the other hand, the idea of choice makes you closer to actually doing something. A should leads to guilt. A choice leads to action. Scripture calls us to that kind of positivity and intentional focus. Peter and the apostles answered those that had brought them before the authorities. We must obey God rather than man. Notice they didn't say, we really should obey God. They said, we must obey God rather than man. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And the psalmist prayed, lead me in the path of your commandment, for I delight in it. And I'm going to change it a little bit from I choose to simply another phrase that's found in Scripture. I'm going to challenge you today, and I believe that somebody is going to experience life change today. I believe at the end of this message, there are people who are going to make a decision that's going to change the course of their life forever. And I'm going to ask you to stop saying, I should, and start saying something even more focused than I choose, rather say, I will. Rather than saying, I should tithe, let's say, I will tithe. Rather than saying, I should read my Bible, I will read my Bible. Instead of saying, I should share my faith, I will share my faith. Now, we could be at this all morning because over 1,700 times in the Bible, the phrase, I will, is used. So I'm not going to preach all of those this morning. But I'm going to preach four of those that I felt like God laid on my heart for this place, this time, this morning. And the first one is this from the story of the prodigal son. I 
will arise. I want everyone to say that with me out loud. I will arise. Say it again. I will arise. You know the story of the prodigal son who demanded that he receive his part of the inheritance. What we don't often talk about is his part of the inheritance reduced the value of the family business by half. So now his father, his uh, mother, his older brother have to continue to run the business with half of their assets being liquidated. He takes off with his part of the inheritance and spends it in extravagant living until he is broke. He's out of money, out of friends. Everyone that gathered around him is now gone, and he looks for a job. He finds a job feeding pigs, which would be the lowest job that a Jew could give themselves to. And on a particular day, he looks at what he's feeding the pigs and wishes that he could eat what they eat. Think how far a fall that is. From having all the money that you want to the finest food in the land to desiring to eat the slop that you're giving to the hogs. What changed his life? He didn't say, I should go to my father or he would still be sitting in that pig pen. He didn't say, I should make changes to my life or he'd still be trapped in his broken, dysfunctional way of living. What did he say? There came a point. Is everybody hearing me right now? There came a point in his life that he didn't say, I should or I ought. He said, I will arise. I will change the direction of my life. I will do something different than what I've been doing. I choose to actively do something to change my life. So I'm asking you this morning, are, is there something in your life that it's time to say, I will arise? You're sitting in a pig pen. You're sitting in a place you don't want to sit. There's a part of your life that's broken and damaged. You keep going after things that you don't want to go after. And forever you've said, I should change that. I should do something different. I should make a change in my life. And this morning I declare to you in the name of Jesus and by the power of God that it's time for you to stop saying, I should make a change and declare this morning. I will make a change. I will arise. I will get up. I will walk in a different direction. And there's only one way to implement an I will from the pig pen that you may be sitting in this morning. The only way to say I will arise is to say I will arise and I will go to my father. He wants you back. He wants you back. Who do you have in mind, Pastor? Why are you preaching this? We're all good Christians here at Berean. Yeah, I know we are, but I also know there are people that during the week sit in pig pens. Come on. I have an extended family member that knows that she should stop drinking. I've talked to her numerous times. She can't sleep without alcohol and she will never be free as long as she keeps saying I should come on help me this morning somebody needs to hear this right now she will only change when she says I will and I will won't work in your strength or your ability or your gifting or your determination. The only way to arise is to say, I will arise and I will go to my father. Come on, is there anyone in the house this morning? That's good stuff, Maynard. That'll help you get out of the pig pen. I will arise and go to my father. That's how you arise come back to Jesus, come back to the Father, go to him in his presence, and watch how he will change your life. I will arise. Second, I'm hoping someone this morning will say, I will be healed. Everybody say that with me. 
I will be healed. Say it again. I will be healed. We have this wonderful story in the New Testament about the woman with the issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, came up behind Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, touched the edge of his cloak. What got her there? And I've got to tell you that that story is so mistold. How is the story of the woman with the issue of blood told? It's told like this. This woman knew if she got to Jesus and if, oh, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And we have these paintings and these pictures of this timid little woman who's crawling through the crowd. And we often see her on all fours, reaching through the crowd, trying to touch the hem of his garment as he goes by. I've never seen God respond to faith that didn't have some force behind it. A person who's come to a place of believing. And when you read the story, this was not a cowardly woman at all trying to sneak in. Do you know what she's done by walking into that crowd? In ceremonial law, she's defiled everyone that's around her she's put everyone in jeopardy and if they know there's going to be trouble at the okay corral and there's only one way to fix this and that's for her to touch the hem of his garment for Jesus to heal her and for that issue to go away and I don't believe for a minute that she is timidly trying to crawl through the crowd there were mobs there you try to crawl through a crowd they're going to trample you and kill you she forced her way elbowed pushed got to the front so that when he came by she could touch the hem of his garment and many people were touching and pushing but she grabbed hold and Jesus stopped and said who touched me what would cause her to risk that and push her way to the front because she had made a determination if if I can touch him I will be whole. What did touching the hem of the garment mean? It meant a lot of things. I don't have time to preach this whole message. But the hem of the garment spoke of the rabbi's commitment to the word of God. It spoke to the resources that he had because it served as a wallet. And everyone's hem was unique. It served as a source of ID. And she is saying, if I can touch the word of God, if I can touch the resources that he has, if I can touch who he is, I know I will be healed. Not I might or I should be, But there was an explosion of faith in her that said, I will be healed. Now, let's be really clear this morning. Your declaration of faith, apart from the word of God, is a waste of time. You're not commanding God to do anything. How many are hearing me right now? But when you've seen what the word of God says... And the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart. Where did that idea come from? It's unique. It's unusual. I'm going to tell you what I believe from systematic theology and the flow of Scripture. Here's what I believe. The Bible says that she had gone to all kinds of physicians. She'd suffered many things at their hands. She had gone through all of their procedures and not ever finding any improvement. She spent all the money that she had. And I believe in that brokenness, in that destitute place, after she tried it all, she called on the God of Abraham and asked for help, for intervention. And in the moment that she gave up on her resources and the people around who claimed they could help, I'm absolutely convinced that in the stillness of her soul, the Spirit of God brought to her revelation and said, if you can get to where the healer is, if If you can get to where Jesus is, if you can get close enough to touch him, you will be healed. And she said, I know if I get there, I will be healed. There's a relationship between what you believe and what happens in your life. You cannot choose to be healed, but you can choose to come to Jesus and touch him and know that he will hear your cry. 
Now, I know when we get to heaven, he was, the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed, and that means when we get to heaven, there'll be no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no mental illness, no physical impairment, not any wounds that you will carry, we will be completely healed. Hallelujah for heaven. But we live as full gospel believers that we get a little bit of heaven to go to heaven in. Is there anyone in the house right now? Jesus is still healing people today. And I thought about a lame man by the pool of Bethesda. And he couldn't get into the water. They believed that when the water was stirred, if you could get in, you would be healed. And something happened because they believed the story. Jesus walked by and saw this man. Why does Jesus call people out? Because when he sees faith in you, he'll stop wherever you are and call you out of the crowd. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? That is a great question. There are people today that don't want to be healed. There are people that have learned to identify themselves in their brokenness. They wouldn't know what to do if they weren't mad about something. They wouldn't know what to do if they didn't have pain. They wouldn't know what to do if they didn't have something that brought attention to them because of their suffering. How many are hearing what I'm saying? You know what I'm telling you is the truth. And Jesus came by and said to him, do you want to be healed? If you need healing physically, if you need healing mentally, if you need healing spiritually, you have to decide, do I want to be healed or have I learned to live in the identity of my dysfunction? There is pain and change and there's pain that comes if you choose to step out of where you are into a new place do you want to be well is the question Jesus asked him how many times does Jesus say to people in scripture according to your faith be it unto you your faith has made you well And I'm going to give you again the definition I use for faith. What is that? Faith is not believing that what you want, God will do. That's not faith. Faith is hearing from God and believing that he will do what he said he will do. Those are not the same. When you hear from him, she had a revelation in her spirit. And she didn't say, I think I'll be healed or I should be healed. If I do this, I think I should be healed, she said with confidence. If I can touch him. <laughs> this is shouting ground right now. I don't, I don't know if you're feeling it. I'm praying this will move out into that front, second, third rows. I'm telling you, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. I will be healed. Now, I know when we get to heaven, we'll all be whole, but sometimes, and some people today that are Christ followers need to decide, I will be healed. I'm not going to live in this broken place. I'm going to trust God for deliverance. Whether it's physical, spiritual, or, or mental, I'm believing God. I will. It's time for somebody to say, I'm not accepting my condition. I'm not accepting this dysfunction. I'm not accepting this pain. It's a valley I'm going through, but I know that a day's coming. If I can get to the healer and touch him, I will be healed. Let's start to lay claim to that. I will be healed with an assurance, with a confidence. I will be healed. The question is when the healer comes by, Will you be healed? I should. Won't lay hold of the promise. I will. Will embrace the promise. I will be healed. I will arise. I will be healed. And let me just say, I I wish I'd go back and preach a message that I preached at the beginning of the pandemic. There are some things we still believe and we will always believe and we need to proclaim. And that is that Jesus is our Savior Jesus is our peace. He is our joy. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. And he's our soon coming king. And that's where we put our confidence is in Jesus. I will be healed. Let me give you the third one this morning. I will arise. I will be healed. And I will trust. I will trust. (laughs) 
in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, the psalmist writes, When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Fear seems to be a common component, a universal emotion, a pervasive state of mind in our world today. I saw someone on Facebook posted, they went to the grocery store and it looked like the grocery store needed to go to the grocery store. Why did we run out of toilet paper? Because we were afraid. Why do the shelves um, empty of bread and milk when a storm comes? Because we're afraid. And I'm, I would just like to ask most Americans, this may not be true for everybody, but I'd like to ask everyone in Pleasant Hill, in central Iowa, yay, all of Iowa, when was the last time that you went through a winter storm and were afraid you would starve to death because there was no food in your house for 40 days? Are you, but it might be inconvenienced. I might not be able to make cupcakes tomorrow. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's some parts of the world where that fear is real. In the U.S., it's imposed. Come on. I know there are people who have nothing. I know there are people that are destitute. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about lukewarm Americans who are afraid, not that they will lose shelter and clothing, but that they'll lose their comfort. And we go into the same kind of panic that people do when they have nothing. Next time there's a storm, let's put on Facebook, I am boycotting bread and milk. Till this storm is over. Because we, we like fear. I have a, a grandson, Jotham. And Jotham loves to be startled. He loves for me to hide and jump out and scare him. And the more I scare him, the better. And so I'll jump out and yell. I won't demonstrate that. And he'll go, ah! Poppy, do it again. Do it again. Because I'm convinced he loves that adrenaline rush. Some people only know how to be excited when they're afraid. We kind of enjoy living in fear. It gives us something to talk about and a way to respond. I remember <laughs> growing up, yes, I am older than some of you, younger than others, Tornado drills. I've thought about that. Do they still do tornado drills in schools? Now, I'm, I get it. They want you to go out in a safe place, in a bathroom or a hallway, where the building's not going to collapse on you. But man, oh man, I thought, I'm, I don't think I'm any safer in this hallway than I was in the classroom. But the ones that really got me, the, we call them the atomic bomb drills. Anybody remember those? You'd get on the floor, pull your knees up, and put your head down, grab your knees, and they would practice. And Are you serious? If a bomb drops in our school, they're going to find toasted balls. <laughs> We're all dead anyway. Why are we? What, is, what in the world is that going to do? And what it did culturally was it created a fear that a bomb was going to drop on our heads. We do all kinds of things to motivate with fear. We live in fear that we won't have enough, that we won't be provided for, that we won't be cared for. Today, atomic bomb drills have been replaced with COVID and mass shootings, inflation, and limited provisions. I read something on the news the other day that some politicians are claiming that the increase in prices is not caused by inflation. And I thought that's true. That really is true. 
It's the rise in prices that causes inflation. However you want to sort that out. And am I going to have enough? When I retire, will I have enough? There are plenty of reasons to be afraid. David is being challenged on every hand. He's being threatened. They want to take his life. They want to end his existence. And the psalmist doesn't say, when I'm afraid, I ought to trust in the Lord. No. What time I'm afraid. How many have ever been afraid? Hold up your neighbor's hand. What do you do when you're afraid? I will trust. David wouldn't have said that if you couldn't do it. What if we went into the rest of 2022 refusing to be motivated by the fear mongers in the media? Now, I'm not saying that everything that's being said is wrong. I'm saying that Christians are not called to live in fear, whatever's happening around us. What if we chose, how many times have we been going to die this year in a snowstorm? Snowpocalypse. This is my bias. It's not biblical. It's just my bias. But I think that the reason the weather reports have gotten worse, people say it's global warming. I don't know what you think about that, but I'm absolutely convinced it's ad-driven. Because the more people that watch, the more they can charge for ads, and you don't get people to watch a weather report that says it's going to be 70 and sunny. So we buy into it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we embrace that fear, and it affects us. Better not come to church Sunday. It's going to snow. We might not get home. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Fear becomes pervasive. And David said, when I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. Here's what I know. Fear and faith cannot coexist. If you're living in fear, you're not living in faith. And if you're living in faith, you will not live in fear. Because the psalmist says two things that may at first glance seem contradictory, but they're not. They're bookends in the area of trusting the Lord. When I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. And if I trust in the Lord, I will not be afraid. They are not contradictory. They're complementary. He's saying to us that when you're afraid, trust him. And when you learn to live in trust, you will not be afraid. Trust banishes fear. And what would happen to a church who decided, I will not fear. I will trust the Lord. I have a sister who has gone on to be with the Lord and she would get afraid of all kinds of things. And she called me one day and she said, I'm really afraid. Why? I'm just, I'm just afraid that Al-Qaeda is going to start dropping nuclear bombs on Iowa. And I said, so just from a strategic standpoint, <laughs> bombing cows and pigs? Sounds like a big barbecue to me. What are, what are they going to bomb? What, what are they going to bomb? She said cornfields. Because if they disrupt the breadbasket of America, they can bring us to our knees. I don't know what conspiracy theorist she was listening to, but she bought the whole story. And I said to her, if they're going to drop a nuclear bomb on the United States, I'm going to paint a big red target on my roof. That's where I'd like it to land. You say, you're being stupid. No, I'm not. I'm saying, number one, I'm not going to fear. Number two, I have trust in God, and I don't want to live through a nuclear explosion anyway. Let's just go to heaven. Okay, now I'm not advertising that. Let's take that off the air, but I will trust. When I'm afraid, I will trust. I will trust and not be afraid. So I want to ask you this morning, somebody here, is living in fear. And I'd love to go around, walk through the balcony, walk up to every one of you and say, what are you afraid of? 
What is it that you are fearful about? What is it that's keeping you in bondage because you're afraid? Let's replace that with a relationship with God that says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. And when I trust in the Lord, I will not be afraid. When we were pastoring in Oldwine and Mike Morehouse did a big puppet, it was this big white dog called Digger Dan. And Digger Dan was a cool puppet. And with Digger Dan, we, had, we didn't have money. I, a lady in the church had it, gave it to us. And so to make a puppet stage, we took two mic stands. I took a furring strip and drove nails, nine penny nails through it, and stuck it in the open end so we'd have a frame and hung a blanket over it. We were high tech. And the kids would walk in, and all of a sudden, Digger Dan would jump up, one arm, one arm that was paralyzed that flipped and the other one that would move and the mouth that would move and talk to them. Well, our son, Josh, was terrified of Digger Dan. And he would call out just as he would go to sleep. His hamper in his room was white. It was in his closet. And he would say, Dad, is Digger Dan in my hamper? No, you moron. No, I didn't say that. I didn't, didn't say that. I said, he wasn't in there when the light was on. And he's not in there now that the light's off. Hello? Is anybody hearing me? It was funny. When he was sick, he'd call mom. When he's afraid, he'd call dad. Digger Dan is in every night this went on. And He'd wake up in the night afraid of things. And you can do with this what you want. But I thought, there are two things we need to do here. I said to him, you need to learn how to fight that fear. And I'm going to teach you, just as a child, to memorize a verse. First verse I had to memorize. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I said, before you call out to me whether Digger Dan is in your hamper, I want you to say that verse out loud. I want you to say it out loud. God's not given us a spirit of fear. Did that cure it? No. They memorized a verse. Here's what cured it. One night he said, Dad, is Digger Dan in my... No, it was before he hollered out. I could hear him restless. And I said, Josh, is Digger Dan in my hamper? When he saw the foolishness of his fear. He quit being afraid. Come on. Come on. Somebody here is in a place of bondage to fear. You think Digger Dan is in your hamper. And I'm telling you, he is not. When I'm afraid, I will trust. When I trust, I won't be afraid. And somebody here needs to say, I Ought to trust, no, today making a decision when that monster, when that ogre, when that, when, that, when that ghost appears in front of me, I will trust. I will trust and not be afraid. I will arise. Come on, I will arise. I will be healed and I will trust. Last Hebrews 2.12, I will declare. Everybody say that with me. I will declare. I will declare. Say it again. I will declare. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12, both the one who makes men holy and those who have been made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. He says, I will declare your name, Father. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. Hebrews 2, 11 and 12. It's talking about the incarnation of Christ. That he became fully man and lived among us and feels our pain and feels our suffering. And he paid our price and he's not ashamed to be called my brother and to call me part of his family. But he's also our example. And don't you think if he declared something when he was in human flesh that maybe we should declare something as well?
that the way he lived, we ought to live to declare it. He declared the name of the Father to us and he sang God's praises. In John chapter 17, he prayed, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I've declared to them your name. John 17, I've declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. He declared the love of the Father for broken humanity. We had a strategic planning session with the staff and we're kind of reminiscing of some of the things that we did coming up to Easter. And um, how many of you are here when we did the Peeps um, promotion? We bought you a box of Peeps. You were to give it to a friend and say, come join my Peeps and sign your shirt. And we'd signed it up out here. And I, I thought about that. I took a box of peeps with me everywhere. And I invited people to church that I would never have invited otherwise. Never forget in a restaurant, there was a waitress that I said, hey, I want to give you a box of peeps. And she said, I don't eat peeps. I said, well, then give them to your kids. I don't have kids. Well, take it and throw it at your boss. I don't care. <laughs> Got to get rid of these peeps. <laughs> She finally took him, and I invited her to join our peeps. Now, she didn't ever come, but I thought, why? Why should, are you with me right now? Why should a box of peeps motivate me to declare his name more than a broken heart for the lost would motivate me to declare his name? I get tools and I'm all for tools and I'm for having fun and I'm for all those things. And I'm for free peeps because they're not worth purchasing. But what if we decided that our, how many people have said, I ought to talk to my neighbors about Jesus. I ought to talk to my friends. I ought to share my faith with someone. And we never do it. Coming into Resurrection Sunday, what if we decided to say, I will declare. I will declare his name. I will sing his praise. Father, that the love you have for me might be in them and that, the, that I might be able to be in their hearts as well. What if we would declare the love of God to people around us? I will declare and we wouldn't be satisfied or give up until we made a decision to declare the goodness of God. About three weeks ago, a member of our congregation talked to me how she's found a new place in God. God's blessing her life, moving in her, and she said, I can't help but talk to everybody I see about how good God is. Oh, I think that's the key. We've forgotten how good God is. We've forgotten how much he's done for us. And so I want to challenge you in the year that's ahead of us that we would change our I shoulds to I will. If you're in a bad place, I will arise. If you're sick, I will be healed. If you're fearful, I will trust. And that all of us would say, I will declare the love and grace of God. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. Here's what I want to ask you, specifically, purposefully, and intentionally. Do you have an I should in your life that needs to become an I will? Is there an I should that needs to become an I will? How many understand the question? Is there an I should that needs to become an I will? And I want to show you what will happen when you say, I will. Are you ready? When you say, I will, 
Jesus will say, I will too. I will too. There was a leper that came to Jesus. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus didn't say, I really should do something about this situation. Let me talk to the Father. I should do something. When he said, are you willing? The Bible says that he was moved with compassion toward the leper. And he said, I will be thou clean. And he was healed in that moment. And I'm telling you, that same Jesus is in the house this morning. Come on, I said that same Jesus in the house this morning. And if you're willing to say, today, Sunday morning, I'm going to stop saying I should. And I'm going to start saying I will. I don't want a general response. I don't want us all saying, yes, I'm going to stop saying I should. I say I will because that won't accomplish a thing. But if you're saying I should start tithing and I will. I should share my faith becomes an I will. I should stop the sinful behavior that I'm continuing to practice. I should reform and say, I will return. Whatever your I should is, needs to become an I will. I will arise and return to the Father. I will respond to Jesus and be healed. I will trust him in the midst of my fear and I will declare his name. So right now, heads up, eyes open. You have a specific I should, not in general, but a specific I should that God touched your heart about and this morning you're gonna make it an I will. I want you to stand up right where you are right now. I want you to stand. My I should is gonna be an I will today. My I should is a declaration of faith. I have a specific I should that today will become an I will. I wanna pray for you right now and then Pastor Nathan will all stand and lead us in some worship. Jesus, you see our hearts. You see the desire that's in us that we want our I should to become an I will. And if you're willing, you can empower us to bring that to pass. Jesus, we're asking in your name that you will supernaturally meet us and give us the power that our I should today becomes I will to the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Could we, everyone in the house? And now let's worship him and believe for his touch. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song.
changing our I shoulds to I will. God will be glorified and we will change the world. Amen. 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 God bless you. Greet someone, shake their hand, be an encouragement to someone today, and let's move from I should to I will to honor him.